Get ready for a journey into the heart of Bridgeport politics with In Absentia, a new podcast from Connecticut Public's investigative team, The Accountability Project. Learn about the city's past and present political dysfunction and the systems that enable it. Tune in wherever you get your podcasts. Funding provided by Joe Zimmel and Valerie Friedman. This is Where We Live. I'm John Dankowski. The first primary of the 2016 presidential cycle is underway, and it's stirring up some strong memories for the candidates who've been here before. You know, New Hampshire means a lot to us, going all the way back to 1992, when New Hampshire gave Bill a chance, really, to come out of here with momentum and head toward the nomination. And we've never forgotten that. That's Hillary Clinton speaking yesterday to supporters. She's talking about Bill her husband, Bill Clinton, the former president, she's hoping to close the gap she's facing in the polls against Vermont Senator Bernie Sanders. Today, Where We Live will bring you live coverage from New Hampshire as voters head to the polls there. We'll check in with reporters from the Granite State and reporters and people from Connecticut who've been on the ground there, campaign supporters who made the trek north. And we want to hear from you. What connections do you have to New Hampshire? What are you seeing and hearing from the candidates in that state? Join the conversation Where We Live. It's coming up right after this news. This is Where We Live. I'm John Dankosky. If your only connection to the 2016 presidential election is social media, you'd think that New Hampshire is ground zero for a battle over the heart and soul of America. But when you actually talk to voters there, you hear something different. You hear people who are fed up, to be sure, but maybe not as angry as national news shows would have you believe. You hear from people who actually want to hear moderation and calm in the voices of candidates who've largely been anything but this past year. Of course, we have had some battles between supporters of Hillary Clinton and Bernie Sanders over what it really means to be progressive. We've seen a slump in support from Marco Rubio following his robotic debate performance and a lot more of moderate Republican voices like John Kasich, who've been pretty far down in national polls, but whose message plays well in the Granite State. Today, where we live, we're going to check in with reporters from New Hampshire and Connecticut who've been on the ground there and campaign supporters who've made the trek northward. We want to hear from you. What connections do you have to New Hampshire in the primaries? What are you seeing and hearing from the candidates? Join the conversation at 860-275-7266, 860-275-7266. You can comment on our website, wnpr.org slash where we live. And you can find us on Facebook and Twitter at Where We Live. Joining us in studio today is Tom Breen. He's a reporter for the New Haven Independent, who spent last week in New Hampshire ahead of the presidential primaries. They've been filing all throughout the last couple of weeks. And Tom, welcome to the show. Thanks for being here. Thanks very much for having me on, John. And also joining us today from the offices of New Hampshire Public Radio is Dan Barrick. He's senior editor for politics and public policy. He's going to give us a little insight into what is happening in New Hampshire this morning. Dan, welcome to the show. Glad to be here. And I should tell our listeners that you can listen for live coverage from New Hampshire Public Radio starting tonight at 7 o'clock. They provide the very best coverage of what's going on there across the nation, so we're very happy to have them on WNPR starting at 7 o'clock tonight. So first of all, Dan, give us a little uh, insight into what's happening today on the ground. I mean, we hear a little bit about snow and bad weather, but hey, it's February in New Hampshire. Nothing terribly wrong with that. What's, What's the big news as we get ready to vote or as many people have already voted in New Hampshire this morning. Right. Well, today, you know, today's primary day. It's a pretty quiet day on the trail, actually. There's no campaign events. Most of the candidates are probably catching a nap or or, or some rest family time before rallies and watch parties tonight. Um, weather really wasn't much of a factor. We had a small snowstorm last night, but only a few inches 
you know, especially down in the southern part of the state where most, most of the voters are. But I think today, you know, it, the last week I think was notable. I mean, the, the main storylines of this campaign have sort of been set in place for months, right? You had Donald Trump with a big lead on the Republican side and some other more mainstream alternatives scrapping it out below. You've had Bernie Sanders on the Democratic side, you know, with a lead of varying size and varying uh, polling estimates over Hillary Clinton for a while. That really hasn't changed. I think what one thing that has changed in the last week here since Iowa is a real sharpening of the tone of both races. Um, we saw here Hillary Clinton and some of her surrogates, including former President Bill Clinton, taking a particularly uh, increasingly um, aggressive line of line of critique of Senator Sanders and, and from some Sanders supporters, um, uh, an equally aggressive pushback. And on the Republican side, I mean, we saw some of this in the debate, uh, the debate on Saturday, but a real sharpening, especially of, of some of those those um, those folks who are really hoping for a second or third place finish here. Christie, Bush, Rubio uh, ratcheting up some of the re- rhetoric. So so we're definitely it's it's a it's a primary day in which um, there's a lot of tension, I think, on both sides of the race and a lot of anxiety about how things will turn out tonight. Now, of course, a lot of people in our listening area have close ties to New Hampshire. They go there all the time. They've got family there. Maybe they vacation in New Hampshire, so they feel they understand the Grand State a little bit. One thing I think that always characterizes these early primaries, Dan, is an awful lot of what we'll say conventional wisdom that comes from national political shows, right? Iowa is the place where it's the heartland. There's a lot of evangelical voters. Of course, they've got their unusual caucus system. So uh, many people from far away look at Iowa as a place that is painted with one big brush. What are some of the things that people get wrong about New Hampshire? I mean, things that people in in Connecticut or the rest of the country might need to know about your state that maybe we just don't get right. That's a great question. And I think you can actually focus it that question that, you know, that's a question you could ask of any any primary presidential primary in New Hampshire. This year in particular, that's a question that it has even more baffling answers. So the conventional wisdom for a long time is that in order to win New Hampshire, or at least do well here, a candidate has to really woo and court voters one-on-one individually in their towns, in their living rooms, in their coffee shops, in their diners, doing the classic, you know, going back to Eugene McCarthy and, uh, you, you know, this real on-the-ground, you know, John McCain is, is still held up as sort of the model for this this retail politicking. Um, but you look at the results this year, and it's the exact opposite. The candidates who, who followed that script most closely are generally speaking either no longer in the race. So that's, you know, Lindsey Graham, uh, Martin O'Malley, the, the Democrat, uh, Lindsey Graham, a Republican, or they're, or they're really struggling, Kasich, Christie, um, Bush to a certain extent. And those candidates who are, who are out there well ahead of the rest of the pack, Trump and Sanders, very different candidates, very different ideologies, but they did campaign very similar styles. There was very little one-on-one intimate um, campaign setting, very little back and forth with voters where they would take questions in an open forum, um, much both favored bigger rally type settings. Um, so that I mean, I do think that can and I, whether that will change the nature of the New Hampshire primary going forward, whether that will, in fact, undercut arguments by boosters of the primary who say this is where the future president of the United States has to come down and humble themselves to talk to regular voters uh, eye to eye. You know, whether now if if New Hampshire will anoint a Donald Trump and a Bernie Sanders as the winners of this state primary when both when both men largely avoided retail st- style politics. I, I do think that is a big question. I do think it is to your to to your point. 
something that folks might get we all might be getting wrong this year that you, you can win new hampshire without campaigning new hampshire style yeah of course and you know a, a lot of as you said earlier the voters are in the southern part of the state which is in the greater boston media market and so that has something to do with it as well right. i want to bring in tom breen from the new haven independent who's been spending some time there talking to uh, connecticut residents people who've made the trek north I, tom i'll ask you sort of the same question what are the surprises that you're seeing because there's a lot of conventional wisdom but i'm sure you were surprised by some of what you were hearing in new hampshire well, I'm glad that we started out off talking about the relative importance of retail politics in this cycle's presidential primaries, because I think that my key takeaway, and I don't mean to sound cynical here, but my first time in New Hampshire, my key takeaway was the incredible pride with which New Hampshire residents take this first-in-the-nation primary. And they, every, everywhere you go, everyone in attendance, everyone introducing speakers and the candidates themselves, talk about how what an honor it is to be having these candidates coming, pitching, making personal pitches. Uh, all over New Hampshire. And I think that when we talk about how the two candidates at the top of either party right now, Sanders and Trump, at least when it comes to the New Hampshire primaries, how they're not doing the same type of retail politics, I think that Trump in particular still falls within the personality appeal. A lot of the people showing up at Trump's rallies are very much enamored with the brash, gruff, uh, this big personality that I think people respond very much to in these intimate situations in town halls and churches and schools that New Hampshire does so well. Now, Trump's been doing this on a big scale, but nonetheless, people are responding to the personality of the politician. With Sanders, it is all message all the time. The biggest, you know, the, all the, his supporters are hook, line, and sinker for his commitment to break up the big banks, to break up big pharma, to uh, reform campaign finance. And it's interesting to see how Personality politics is still very important in this cycle of the New Hampshire primary, but also on either end of the political spectrum, some candidates are succeeding with the message more so than, than others. Well, and I'd like to turn to, to you, Dan, about the Republicans before we talk about Hillary uh, Clinton and Bernie Sanders. The Republicans, you mentioned some of them, people like um, Jeb Bush and John Kasich and Chris Christie. These are the sorts of candidates that we think in our minds might resonate with New Hampshire voters, perhaps a bit more moderate, a, a little bit more approachable and certainly more able to do the retail politics. It may very well be that the three of them combined might not get as much of the vote as Donald Trump will. How surprised are you at that? And what is what is it that Donald Trump is saying to the people of New Hampshire that these more traditional candidates that we think would play well in New Hampshire just aren't getting across? Well, I think I think you're right. I mean, the question of whether or not those three and and you could some people throw Marco Rubio in there are kind of cannibalizing the the mainstream vote that might that might have provided if channeled into a single candidate a more a stronger uh, opponent for Donald Trump. But I am surprised. I mean, I think most <laughs> I think most people did not think we'd be sitting here on the day of the primary wondering. Uh, you know, the, by what margin will Donald Trump win the New Hampshire primary? That's really the the the, the only question remaining on the on the Republican side. Um, but I think you know there is there is some aspect of that personality, um, Trump's brashness, which which is often a a selling point in New Hampshire primary. I mean, John John McCain had that certainly to not not this degree, but he you know he was known as sort of this puckish. Um, you know, rafish character on the trail. And I do think whether it's sometimes in, in times of, of political or economic uncertainty, New Hampshire has gone 
you know, really has gone the insurgent route. I mean, you remember this is a state where in, in 1992, Pat Buchanan got more than a third of the vote, uh, Republican primary vote against the sitting president, the first George Bush. And four years later, he actually won the state. Um, so, you know, th- that was, of course, New Hampshire was suffering from a lot of big economic malaise at the time and, and great uncertainty. But it's not unheard of. I mean, th- th- this is a state um, that will upend um, conventional wisdom and really thumb its nose at, at sort of the, the what the party elders are, are telling them. So in, in that respect, it's not surprising. The the, the messenger for that, uh, Donald Trump, I, I think, is is a big shot for a lot of people. Yeah, yeah we, we forget about John McCain and his Straight Talk Express, of course, somewhere, right. wherever he is. If, if he's even sensing that someone is comparing him to Donald Trump, he's probably getting very, very right. angry right now. <laughs> right. Um, we're talking with Dan Barrick, who's senior editor for politics at New Hampshire Public Radio. We'll be bringing you... NHPR coverage all night long of the New Hampshire primary, which of course is happening today. Tom Breen joins us from the New Haven Independent. In the last couple of minutes I have with you, Dan, I want to turn to the Democratic side and of course, again, the conventional wisdom is Bernie Sanders from the neighboring state of Vermont is doing very, very well in part because of that proximity. In recent days, we've actually heard that as, I guess we can call it, as as an excuse from the Clinton campaign for why he's doing so well. Geographic proximity means a lot. Does it mean a lot, Dan? Does the fact that he's from the neighboring state of Vermont, which sometimes people in New Hampshire can give or take, um, do you think that really matters? You know, yeah, you have heard this. You've heard this from Hillary Clinton's mouth herself, from a lot of her supporters, that Bernie Sanders, to, to quote um, Secretary Clinton, that he enjoys 25 years of, of you know, he's been he's been in Congress and elected office in Vermont for 25 years, and that's a quarter-century relationship and familiarity with Vermont, with New Hampshire. And I have to say, frankly, that's uh, <laughs> that's campaign spin. Um, yes, they are neighboring states. Yes, there are some overlaps. But, but pol- politically, there is very little similarity between New Hampshire and Vermont. I, I, you know, I, I, if you want to sink a piece of legislation in the New Hampshire legislature, the, the first thing, the, the easy thing to say is this is modeled on legislation in Vermont. Um, and, and, you know, so so, yes, in some parts of the state, especially the Connecticut River Valley, which where the two states border, there may be some cross cross border traffic. But as you pointed out, the bulk of voters in New Hampshire reside in southern and southeastern part of the state, which is essentially a Boston suburb. So when people talk about, you know, neighborly advantages, I think the the real relationship is, is Massachusetts for New Hampshire. So that's why someone like a Mitt Romney um, or a John Kerry may have enjoyed that, that uh, neighborhood advantage. But the notion that Bernie Sanders um, lead here is, is largely um, due to the fact that that he that he's an extra neighbor is just is just misstating the, the facts. What you know, one possible advantage you could say is that he he's it's easier for him to campaign here. Living in Burlington, you know, an hour and a half away from the from the border um, does make it easier for him to get over here than say somebody you know who was from from the Midwest. But I, I don't think that he's he's no favorite son here in New Hampshire. Go, you know, going into the primary. Yeah, I was going to say maybe on that bridge from Norwich to Hanover there is a little bit of crossover, right. but the rest of the place is pretty well divided. So I, I want to turn to you, Tom, and, and you spent a lot of time with Clinton supporters, with Sanders supporters. I mean, what are you hearing as the big as the big divide between these two groups? Because Look, we see this all the time, and it does happen in in Democratic primaries as well as Republican primaries. But there is this sense of an awful lot of Bernie Sanders supporters who 
are almost saying, and maybe it's not in these words, that if he doesn't win, then I can't support Hillary Clinton or anybody else. I'm only supporting Bernie. I mean, how real a feeling do you feel that is? Let me just touch on Dan's comment uh, from before, just for a second before sure. jumping into that. I think that the argument that Bernie's name recognition is bolstering his, you know, his poll numbers can only go so far, as Dan was saying, because Hillary Clinton is perhaps the best-known politician in American politics right now. She's been vetted again and again by the American public for the past 20, 30 years. And so even though going door-to-door, everyone knew Bernie Sanders because he has been the senator and rep next door. Everyone knew Hillary Clinton as well. Uh, thinking about how the two different camps differentiate themselves, uh, my colleague Lucy Gelman and I went to the McIntyre Shaheen 100 Club dinner in Manchester, which was the New Hampshire Democratic Party's annual fundraiser. It's the biggest fundraiser. It's held in a hockey stadium in Manchester, and it really feels like a sporting event in that on one side of the stands you have all the Sanders supporters, on the other you have Clinton supporters, and then you have a stage in which politicians pander to one side or the other, and you know people wave their shirts <laughs> and they cheer and they whoop and they hurl insults. Uh, And I think that what really resonates most with the Sanders supporters is that he is, again, he's heartbeat on that message about empowering individuals to get involved in the democratic process. Sanders said again and again in his campaign speeches that democracy is not a spectator sport. And I think that is what his his supporters really respond to, whereas Clinton and her supporters are making the pitch again and again with very high profile endorsers from, you know, Governor Maggie Hassan to Senator Gene Shaheen to former CIA agent Valerie Plame, all coming through New Hampshire saying Hillary Clinton has the experience to do this job, to be president, to be commander in chief. And that is why you should vote for her. And not to mention, she's the, she would be the first woman president. They're really harping on her as, you know, this is the experienced candidate, whereas Sanders supporters, they see here is someone trying to get the little guy back involved in politics. And that's what they want. Uh, Dan, before our break, help us watch these results tonight. Are there towns or cities, locations that are really going to matter as far as either the Republican or the Democratic side tonight in New Hampshire? Sure. Just, uh, real quickly with the Democratic side, college towns in New Hampshire are obviously a big uh, battleground in Democratic primaries. Eight years ago, Barack Obama swept all of New Hampshire's college towns. That includes Hanover, where Dartmouth is, uh, Durham, where UNH is, Keene and Plymouth. Uh, in some places, he won by a two-to-one margin. Sanders is, of course, hoping to replicate that and, in fact, widen that margin. Um, for Hillary Clinton to do well, she's going to have to hold on to those places she did well eight years ago when she won the state. So that would be more conservative parts of the state where more moderate conservative Democrats. So some of the old mill cities, uh, places like Rochester and Claremont and Berlin and Manchester, the largest city in the state. She did very well there eight years ago. It was really the bedrocker for when she's going to have to hang on tight there uh, to, to, to stay at all close with Sanders. Republicans, um, you know, Republican primaries in New Hampshire are fought on pretty pretty small turf just because there's, you know, the southern part of the state, very densely populated, very conservative-leaning. So the, the, the Manchester suburbs, the town south of Manchester, down, going down to the Massachusetts border, Londonderry, Derry, Salem, tend to vote um, favor the establishment candidate. It was one of the few regions that, that voted for Mitt Romney um, over John McCain eight years ago when McCain uh, swept most, most, most of the state. Um, and also some some of those same working class blue collar cities um, that I mentioned on the Democratic side will also be key for for Republicans, especially if you know more more conservative independents or or sort of blue collar Democrats decide that say a Donald Trump message is more attractive to them. Um, they may may pick a Republican ballot and vote for him, which um, would obviously be good news for him. But if some of those establishment suburbs or more mainstream voters in the in the Greater Manchester area say 
tend to flow towards a Bush or a Kasich or a Christie. That could be very good news for, for one of those candidates. So those those are the geographic areas where I think this this race will be won or lost tonight. And if you're following us along on Twitter, at Where We Live, we just tweeted out a link to the New Hampshire Public Radio map of towns to watch. Dan Barrick and his team at New Hampshire Public Radio are going to be keeping an eye on, on things for us tonight, starting at 7 o'clock with Laura Canoy uh, hosting a special edition of The Exchange, the great talk program that we helped to, that we modeled our program off of up in New Hampshire. They start at 7 o'clock all through out the night with New Hampshire uh, primary results. Dan Barrick is senior editor of politics at NHPR. Thanks so much, Dan. Happy primary day. Hope it goes well for you today. Thanks. It's going to be a fun night. It should be a fun night. Uh, also in studio with us is Tom Breen uh, from the New Haven Independent. When we come back, we'll hear from some voters who made their way up to New Hampshire campaigning for one candidate or the other. You can join us at 860-275-7266. We'd love to hear from you where we live. This is Where We Live. I'm John Dankosk. It's New Hampshire Primary Day, and we're bringing you coverage with reporters and also supporters of the candidates who've been spending time in New Hampshire, just a few states north of us, a couple hours away. Tom Breen is here. He's a reporter for the New Haven Independent uh, who spent last week in New Hampshire ahead of today's presidential primaries. He joins us in studio. Joining us by phone now is uh, Kiernan Majerus-Collins. He's a, a former Martin O'Malley supporter who's now backing Hillary Clinton. And Kiernan, welcome to the show. Thanks for joining us. Thank you so much. I'm happy to be here. So first of all, you came out in support of Martin O'Malley, and you sort of rode that train all the way to the end there. What, what attracted you about the candidate who never really gained any traction in the Democratic primaries? Sure. Well, uh, um, I thought that Governor O'Malley provided an opportunity to, to get a, um, a new vision and new leadership in the United States. Uh, but obviously, not a whole ton of folks shared that shared that view. So not a whole lot of uh, folks share the view, and, and you were then, I'm sure, courted by people who were saying, no, come to the Bernie side, no, come to the Hillary side. How'd you come down on Secretary Clinton's side? Well, it was a really tough call. Um, Bernie and Hillary are both great candidates, and, you know, whichever one of them ends up winning, I'm going to support New Hampshire, uh, in, in rather, in, uh, in November. But uh, ultimately, I think what, what did it for me was, was Hillary Clinton's experience. I mean, I don't know that we've ever had a, a, a non-incumbent presidential candidate who is uh, better prepared to be commander-in-chief than, than Secretary Clinton. And so, you know, that's, that gives me faith that when she gets into the job on day one, she's going to be she's gonna be ready to go. And, of course, as, as we heard from Tom Breen, this is what Hillary Clinton and a lot of her supporters are certainly saying. That you're saying something slightly different, though, than a lot of supporters have, have said to us so far, Keenan, which is, you know, if, if I like Hillary, I only like Hillary. If I like Bernie, I only like Bernie. You seem to be in that camp of I'm going to support whoever is carrying the mantle for the Democratic Party. Well, absolutely. I mean, in, in my experiences uh, this year um, in, in attending, especially in, in attending Donald Trump rallies, I've had an opportunity to, to see just how dangerous um, some of these Republican candidates are. And I think it's really important that the Democrats rally behind whoever wins our party's nomination, because the reality is we have two great candidates and we're fortunate to have two great candidates. And, you know, I'm, I'm pulling for Hillary. I'm going to vote for Hillary. But but I think it's important that we rally behind the winner of the primary. Okay, so before I let you go, I have to say you mentioned the Donald Trump rallies you, you attended. Um, you attended Donald Trump rallies. Of course, his slogan is Make America Great Again. You attended one with a sign that said America is already great. Here's a little audio of the crowd's reaction to you. We're going to Trump rally? We're not going to change the deal. We're going to save Do you disagree with this? Yeah, I said ditch it. Yeah, I said ditch it. 
so you got hooted down and your your uh, signs got torn up. What was your experience at the Donald Trump rally? Well, I, I mean, I, those those are some really scary times. Um, you know, I I uh, I never in a million years expected that Donald Trump supporters would be so outraged by the prospect that America is a great country. Um, you know, I, in in my experience, uh, patriotism is a bipartisan issue, but evidently that's not the case for Donald Trump and his supporters. Kieran Majerus Collins is a former Martin O'Malley supporter, now backing Hillary Clinton. Thanks so much for your time, Kieran, and I appreciate it. Thank you, too. And, and, of course, Tom, this is part of what we're hearing out of the, the Trump campaign rallies. We heard it on Morning Edition today. It is a different sort of tone. Um, in many ways, the press is being cordoned off in a very different way at Trump rallies. What did you see when, uh, when looking around Donald Trump's campaign versus some of the others? So I'd love to talk for a second about our experience, my and my colleague Lucy's experience as representatives of the media at the Trump rally versus the experience that we had talking with different supporters there, different audience members. So our experience was clearly one of Trump was trying to humiliate and and degrade the media. And I I don't think that's going too far because I think that is an explicit strategy of his. So we went to a rally of his, the first rally that he held after coming in second place in the Iowa caucus. It was at a country club in Milford, New Hampshire, which is in southern New Hampshire. So the you know these country roads get very dark late at night, so it's a very disorienting experience just approaching the club itself. So you're kind of pawing your way from car to car, parked along the sidewalkless side of the road. And then you get to the country club, you have to go through a media check-in, you have to go through TSA-style metal detectors, the, uh, Trump has secret, secu- or secret service personnel patting down people, and then you're in an overflow room where you're trying to get into the actual stage. So it's kind of going through all of these different levels to get to the actual event. And then when you enter the arena, well, this was two uh, tennis courts that had been converted into an auditorium, the media are kind of herded into a little metal pen about 150 feet from the stage. Uh, And as Trump rambles on about how the media are disingenuous, about how they misrepresent his popularity, how he's in fact leading a movement, all the people in the crowd kind of turn towards the media and jeer and point and say, you guys are the bad guys and finally we have you locked up. So on the one hand, yes, that was a, I think, a, a strategy of trying to humiliate someone that he sees as detracting from his campaign. But when we spoke with actual attendees, people who had come out to support Trump, we found that their concerns were the exact same concerns as anyone going to not just a Sanders rally, but a Clinton rally, but a Rubio rally. I mean, the most important issue for New Hampshire voters is the economy. Now, it's a state with a very low unemployment rate. It's a state with a relatively high median income. And yet these people are primarily concerned about, as David Frum wrote in The Atlantic a couple, couple weeks ago, the economy has recovered, but the American people has not. And these are, that's what these people feel. They feel like Donald Trump embodies a, a successful businessman who will know how to restart the American economic engine. And yes, he will, he will protect us from outside invaders. He'll protect us from illegal immigrants. But most importantly, we will be able to uh, you know, benefit from the economic glory that kind of emanates from him. So when people go to a Trump rally, they're expecting to find some kind of answer to an economy that has not been supporting them in the way that they feel like it should. Um, we're going to hear from a Trump supporter and also some Bernie Sanders supporters coming up in just a moment. We've got a minute to turn to Delaney Herndon, who's a Hillary Clinton supporter. Why are you supporting the secretary, Delaney? Yeah, I mean, I think you're in pretty, pretty well. Um, Hillary Clinton's experience is unparalleled. But I also think that Hillary Clinton really cares about the issues that average Americans deal with. I was lucky enough to see uh, President Bill Clinton speak in New Hampshire on Sunday. And 
you could just really tell that he understands not only the issues that Americans across the country care about, like problems with the economy, but also the issues that average New Hampshire voters care about. So he was talking uh, about the prescription drug and heroin epidemic that's been going on in New Hampshire um, and how, you know, Secretary Clinton and he under, I mean, you know, obviously Secretary Clinton's the one who's running. Secretary Clinton understands that this is an issue that concerns New Hampshire voters um, and how she wants to help them deal with it. So I think that's something that really sets Secretary Clinton apart is that she has not only a national vision, but also a local vision. So I I just have 20 seconds or so for you, but I I have to ask you, if Bernie Sanders pulls an upset and comes away with the Democratic nomination, do you support Bernie Sanders in November? Absolutely. I support the Democratic Party, and I think it's the correct party to choose. However, I obviously think that Secretary Clinton is the correct candidate. Uh, Delaney Herndon's a uh, Connecticut-based Hillary Clinton supporter, one of many people who have gone north in support of candidates. Delaney, thank you so much. If you want to join us, 860-275-7266. We want to hear from Bernie Sanders supporters. We want to hear from Donald Trump and Marco Rubio supporters. And right now we want to hear from you in support of WNPR. This is Where We Live. I'm John Dankosky. Coming up tomorrow, it's our weekly news roundtable, The Wheelhouse. Our political analysts will recap the results and some of the news from the New Hampshire primary. We're also going to catch you up on some big stories from Connecticut, including a lawsuit against the state over its handling of Ebola quarantines. There's a lot to talk about tomorrow in The Wheelhouse. I hope you can join us. A lot to talk about today because it is New Hampshire Primary Day. We've got coverage coming up tonight from New Hampshire Public Radio starting at 7 o'clock as we bring you all the news. Right now, Tom Breen joins us. He's a reporter for the New Haven Independent. Uh, He and his colleagues have been spending some time in New Hampshire ahead of today's presidential primary, so he's been bringing us some of the stories that he's heard. One of those stories is from Deborah Cohen, a Bernie Sanders supporter, who's joining us now from New Hampshire. Uh, And, Deb, welcome to Where We Live. Thanks so much for joining us. Thank you. It's a pleasure. So, first of all, tell me why you're up in New Hampshire working on behalf of Bernie Sanders. Because I think he's absolutely the best candidate to come down the pike in years. Um, He stands for all of the things that I would like to see happen in this country, and I trust his integrity. I trust his consistency. Um, And I must tell you, this is the first time in my life I've ever actually um, canvassed or done any activity on behalf of a candidate, and I'm doing it very proudly. Mm. Well, one of the big uh, arguments that's happened between the Sanders camp and the Clinton camp is exactly what it means to be progressive, what it means to be a candidate who might be able to take office and get things done. I guess I'm wondering how you and some of the other people who are working on behalf of Bernie Sanders have been working that out as you maybe go door to door and you talk to people across that state. Maybe some who say Hillary Clinton's got the right experience. Hillary Clinton's the sort of person who can uh, they can imagine actually being president of the United States. Talk about some of those conversations, Deborah, that you're having. Um, That's a really great question. Um, One of the things that uh, we tend to stress when people say they are looking to Hillary's experience is going back to Bernie's statement that there's a difference between experience and judgment. Um, especially on the foreign policy front, um, we must believe that Bernie Sanders would surround himself with the absolutely best foreign policy advisors. Um, so that's one area that we're hearing from people about. Um, but we're also talking to people about his consistency <clears throat> and that he does have experience across the board on many of the issues that are important to everybody. 
Um, w- when we uh, hear about this uh, this race, which seemingly is is very much, uh, if not a blowout, it's certainly a large lead for Bernie Sanders in New Hampshire. But nationally, from state to state, it's one in which he's still a little bit of an underdog. There's there's a sense in conventional wisdom, Deb Cohen, that um, Bernie Sanders is someone who might show well in New Hampshire, but might not win the uh, Democratic nomination. Do you see yourself supporting Hillary Clinton moving forward if indeed that's what comes to pass? Well, I know this answer is going to get me in trouble with a lot of people, (laughs) Um, but the answer is no. I I do not see myself casting a vote for Hillary Clinton under any circumstances. And why is that? Um, I don't trust her. Um, I think that her position today may be very different than her position tomorrow, is most likely different than her position um, from a month ago. I just don't have the faith that she's going to represent the things that are important to me the way Bernie Sanders would. And, Tom, uh, you you reported uh, on, on Deb Cohen and some other Sanders supporters. This is something you've heard, Tom. Yes, I, and it's it's good to hear Deb Cohen's voice because, as you said, we, we followed her around as she campaigned for Hi, Sanders. Tom. Hello, Deb, um, <laughs> along with a New Haven resident, Bonita Yarborough, as they went door-to-door in Milford. And I think that uh, the Sanders supporters' frustration with the argument made by Clinton supporters that she's the more experienced candidate is perhaps best encapsulated in when we were at the, the house that was the kind of organizational center for the Sanders campaign in Milford. I spoke with Ken Krajewski, who is a uh, reporter and journalist and activist out of Hartford. Who's never called this program before. Anyway, please continue. <laughs> and uh, and the New York Times editorial board had endorsed Hillary Clinton the, the day before. And so I asked him about that. I, I thought I asked him what he thought about it, how he thought it might impact you know Hillary Clinton's poll numbers. And he said the New York Times editorial board recommended that we invade Iraq in 2003. They have no credibility when it comes when it when it comes to you know these types of experiential recommendations. And so I, I think that when when that criticism of you know a democratic institution like the New York Times, I think is very similar with the frustration with Hillary Clinton's argument that she's the more experienced candidate, and that might not necessarily uh, be a candidate who exercises the type of judgment that the American citizens want to see if the United States were attacked or if it had to be involved overseas. Well, well Deborah Cohen, I appreciate you spending some time with us here on Where We Live. Stay warm. I assume you're, you're going out in the battle a lot today, huh? I am, and the snow is still coming down, but there's a lot of determination out there, so we're going to get the job done. Well, please please have a good day. Deb, uh, Deborah Cohen is a Bernie Sanders supporter who joined us. Let's get to another quick phone call here. Uh, Lynn is calling from Madison. Hi, Lynn. What's in your mind? Hi. Um, well, I'm here in Madison this minute, but I'm about to get in the car to drive up to New Hampshire to help with uh, the primary. And, and, and you're supporting who? Oh, Bernie Sanders, obviously. And the reason I feel so strongly about him is that he's injecting a moral dimension into politics. And I say this as someone who reluctantly, um, I, I, I'm never comfortable being part of, I don't know what, being so, this is the first time I've ever gone up canvassing and been so involved, and I always do so reluctantly. And uh, but I do it for Bernie because I hear this message, and I feel that, you know, like veils are being lifted from my eyes. Like, yes, wait a minute, this is important. This is inequality. What are, and what are we doing for our our young students? Why are we so unfair to them? Why are we unfair to those who are sick? And when I go door to door, this is what resonates with people. Mm. They, you know, they they say yes. You know, why? How could we've been led astray for so long? Well, Lynn, I have to ask you a very touchy question before I let you let you go. And this has been a part, certainly, of this campaign for the last couple days, if not for longer. 
And it kind of goes like this. Hillary Clinton stands a chance to be the first female president of the United States. And there are an awful lot of people uh, who have been a part of feminist movements across many decades who've said, look, you got to support Hillary Clinton because this is an opportunity. This is a step forward for women. Is there any part of you at all that, that thinks about that as you cast your support and your vote and you work for Bernie Sanders? I, you know, absolutely not, because I feel he is a candidate so far apart for the reasons I just mentioned about inserting the moral dialogue into politics that, you know, it, it, gender is not the issue at all. Not at all. Lynn, thank you very much for your phone call. It's snowy, and so be safe driving up to New Hampshire today, okay? Thank you very much. And as you're driving up, you can listen to coverage from WNPR and, of course, from New Hampshire Public Radio tonight. Um, We're going to turn from the Democrats, maybe get back to them in just a moment. I'm with Tom Green from the New Haven Independent. Uh, Tom Green's been spending time there uh, and talking to a lot of voters. We're going to turn now to the Republican side and bring back Joe Visconti. He's a former candidate for governor in Connecticut. He's a Donald Trump supporter joining us from New Hampshire. He may be running for Senate again in Connecticut, so we'll be talking to him a lot. Joe Visconti, good to hear from you. You're up in New Hampshire right now, huh? I sure am. Good to hear from you, too, John. It's pretty wild up here. It is pretty wild up there. Tom Breen was just saying this to me uh, off off uh, air that, you know, it is kind of politically intoxicating to be in this environment when everyone's so energized. Do you feel that energy right now? Oh, yeah. I've been out since about 630 here in Amherst. I'm with the co-chair, uh, Stephen Stefanik, and uh, we're out here. Bernie's people are here, or Hillary's, That's w- which is bizarre, because this town is uh, it's kind of 50-50 liberal and conservative, so it's amazing not to see those two campaigns with any, uh, any sign holders, but Steady flow, steady. They're going to hit 60% plus tonight here from what the moderator tells me. And uh, there's 30, I think almost 30 candidates for president on the, on the ballot. <laughs> it's another, uh, which is, you have to look for your candidate. It's kind, of, it's kind of amazing. You know, one thing I've heard an awful lot, Joe, and, and you can speak to this, I'm sure, is that we heard some uh, people who are voters in New Hampshire who, when asked by NPR, you know, who your first choice is, and they say Donald Trump or Bernie Sanders. And they say, who's your second choice? And they say, well, Donald Trump or Bernie Sanders. There's something about this this anger, this discomfort that people yeah, have with uh, how exactly. things are going. Do you hear that right now? I'm glad you brought it up. I heard it in the Middletown Straw Poll when the Bernie people were there. I'm hearing it here. Uh, what happens, it was almost like Jonathan Pelton and myself during the governor's race two years ago. Uh, the same thing, far left and far right, per se. And we meet up on so many issues uh, where government is corrupt, politicians are being bought and paid for. That's the thing that's resonating. And uh, the Bernie people, we all hug and do photo groups together. It's the, it's the most bizarre. I can only compare it to Jonathan Pelt and myself, how the Common Core issue, government, accountability, and a lot of those things that m- normally an outside candidate does, which is now becoming more mainstream. And uh, it's a phenomenon. That's exactly what it is. Tom, you see the same thing? I, I think it's it's important to note that Trump and Sanders are not the only two presidential candidates who are running with the appeal that they are outsiders, that they're going to bring big reforms to Washington. Lucy and I went to a Ted Cruz town hall, and a big source of his support among the you know the small 300-group audience was that they thought that Ted Cruz, who was a you know constitutional and biblical kind of literalist, was going to restore the country to these kind of primary Judeo-Christian values, that he also represented someone who was not corrupted by uh, the media, by big money, by big interests. Even though he's a democratically elected politician right now with political power, he is also someone who promising to completely shake up the Washington establishment. And, and is part of what Ted Cruz was saying out there on the campaign trail in New Hampshire uh, has to do with something that is really important in, in Connecticut and in the city of New Haven. It's about the idea of sanctuary cities. 
We will end yeah. sanctuary cities by cutting off taxpayer dollars to any jurisdiction that defies federal immigration law. And, and Tom, quickly, this is something Ted Cruz has been saying an awful lot. And as somebody coming from the city of New Haven, covering the city of New Haven and some of these immigration laws, I'm sure that we're maybe hearing it sl- somewhat differently than can, uh, voters in New Hampshire are. We heard this at Ted Cruz's town hall. We also heard this at Marco Rubio's and at Chris Christie's. But Cruz spent the most time on it of any candidate. So he's promising to pull back all federal funds to sanctuary sanctuary cities, the cities that uh, prohibit prohibit their police officers from inquiring about immigration status unless if someone is involved in a, a criminal investigation, uh, and cities that kind of actively protect their undocumented immigrants from uh, federal agents, from uh, the Immigration and Customs Enforcement. So New Haven is a very proud sanctuary city ever since 2007 at, at, the, at the latest when John DeStef- Mayor John DeStefano implemented these Elm City resident cards that anyone, regardless of immigration status, could use as a debit card, an ID, a library card, and a way of reporting crimes to the police without being feared, you know, without having the fear of being deported. Right. And John, you'll remember in 2008 when I opposed John Larson, I was on your show talking about the sanctuary cities bringing the RICO Act against the city of New Haven, a lot of groups. So Cruz is out down that road right now, and I think Trump is also uh, with that. By the way, we love Ted Cruz. We've always had the Tea Party and the things we've done. Right now, there's been a lot of unmasking of Cruz with the uh, with the uh, you know the voter registration uh, intimidation and uh, and also um, you know the, the whole thing that he put out where the, where G, you know he pre- he's preaching Jesus and a lot of religious stuff and at the same time he's a he's a direct politician so there's a lot of action up here and there's a lot of people that are we're always hoping for Cruz uh, a Trump Cruz ticket. And who knows what's going to happen with these guys. But I can tell you that the, the voters in New Hampshire, like never before, I'm asking people, because I'm from Connecticut, is this bigger than before, bigger, mobilized, and people know what they're doing. There's very few undecideds coming into this. Well, hey, hey Joe, Joe, I just got a minute or so for you, but I, I got to ask you this. And this is it's something it's on Donald Trump's hats. It's something he says all the time. It's the big signs at the rallies. He's talking about making America great again. And an awful lot of people, Democrats and Republicans, people who've been in politics, people who aren't part of politics at all, say, America's pretty damn great now. I can travel from state to state. I got a chance to make a living. I got a chance to do things that people across the rest of the world don't do. What's so wrong with America that he was to make it great again? Well, money doesn't grow on trees, and we're 19 trillion going on 22 trillion in debt. If we can keep printing money and paying the balance, and we don't go bankrupt, or if Connecticut doesn't go bankrupt or lose that, or, or all the things that happen in our blue states, if those don't, if those are okay with everybody, and you think this is going to go away, then then Trump's wrong. But if you have a brain and you're using common sense, you realize financially first, first financially, forget all the other issues, we may go down the tubes. And if China starts making moves against us, what are we going to do to, to sell our bonds, our treasury bonds? How does that all pan out? Can we have QE3, 4, 5, 6, or 7? I don't think we can. And so this is, I believe, what he's really talking about. The jobs, jobs, jobs are all going overseas, and it's been happening for, for 20 years like that. Joe, so. Joe, Joe Visconti is a, a Donald Trump supporter. He's up in New yeah. Hampshire. Uh, he may be running for Senate. It's always good to talk with you, Joe. Thank you so much for your time. I really Thanks appreciate it. Thanks for having it. me on. Uh, and uh, we'll hear from him again. And you can continue the conversation online at wnpr.org slash where we live. But last thought from you, Tom. I mean, what else are you looking for today? Somebody who's spent a lot of time in this state over the course of the past week. What else are you looking for uh, today? Well, I want to spend a second on this slogan of Make America Great Again. 
because I, I, I think that it does not just apply to Donald Trump. It applies to every single Republican candidate running for president right now. And what Republican voters have to decide between is which vision for making America great again most resonates with them. So Joe Visconti just articulated the Donald Trump vision that jobs, 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 economy, economy, economy. This is how we become a global superpower again. You have Jeb Bush going out there saying that we are no longer the number one military superpower in the world, and that is what we need to do to build up. Rubio saying we are horribly, uh, you know, we need to restore bipartisanship. We need a feeling of hope, much like what Obama brought, but with less government and and uh, and a stronger economy. And then you also have figures like Ted Cruz saying that what's going to make America great again is, uh, you know, the restoration of the Constitution of these Judeo-Christian values. It, you know, is so much that we're going to hear today, and so much we're going to hear in the in the weeks to come. I appreciate Tom Breen from the New Haven Independent. You can go to their website uh, to find out much more. Tom, thank you so much. Thank you, John. Join us for coverage tonight at seven.